Philippians. Sorry, Frank, if this kind of throws you off. So Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or your digital reader uh, open to there, we're going to look at um, some examples, really, of Paul telling us, encouraging us uh, to walk. And I titled this message, Walk This Way, and you'll see why here in a moment as we get into this passage. Uh, By way of introduction, I found this when James Montgomery Boyce writes about uh, the idea of walking, right? Walking after the Lord, and he says these things. Have you ever noticed that the way a person walks quite often reveals his or her character? A proud person will walk erect, his head held high, whereas a coward will often slink away perhaps walk along with a smug or blustery air. He goes on and says, sometimes novelists make use of the fact to describe their characters, right? Heroes walk with confidence, their head held high. Villains may slouch or sneak or creep or swagger, right? Attach a kind of a walk to them. He goes on and says, the need to describe such forms of walking has enriched language. Seeing thesauruses can list dozens of English synonyms for walking. It says the Zulu language, according to Eugene A. Nita of the American Bible Society, contains at least 120 distinct words for similar ideas. To walk pompously, to walk with a swagger, to walk crouched down as a hunting, and so on. These truths are an acknowledgement that the way people walk reveals something about their ambition something about their state of mind, and something about their values. Kind of interesting, right? He states one more thing. He says, it is for this reason, perhaps, that the the Christians are called to live an exemplary walk, to have that found in the Bible. They are told to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, Ephesians 4. They are to walk wisely, Ephesians 5, with respect for Thessalonians and in the light in 1 John, and this morning, as we look at this passage from Paul, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, we'll see the similar idea. Paul is going to speak to the idea of how you conduct your, yourself, how you walk, whether it's after the kingdom or after, ultimately, what he might call destruction. So Philippians, chapter 3, we'll look at verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> and he says, Brethren... Join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a, pa- <clears throat> excuse me, for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly Things. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning and um, for the truth of your word. I pray that you would encourage us and speak to us, that our eyes would be uh, turned to you and our ears open to you. And I pray that you would bless your servant. Help me to get out of the way. Um, Lord, that you would communicate the truth you desire. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, if you were here, it was probably the best. If you weren't, it was the best message ever I've ever preached in my life, and you missed it? No. Uh, We've been talking about this idea, and Paul has picked up this theme in Philippians chapter 3, where he's talked about, 
you know, being aware, being aware of the dogs who pursue you, those who are out there. And he goes into his resume, I like to call it, where he lists who he is and what he's gone through, what he's experienced, how he had the right birth, the right nationality, he had all these things. And he goes on and says, you know what, I count those things as rubbish, right? I throw them in the trash can and I only put in the gain column, if you will, right, Jesus. And he speaks about how we're justified, right, in Christ and him alone, what Christ has done for me. I don't think any works, any, anything. I don't put anything over in the, in the gain, sorry, the gain column is on this side, the gain column, right? But in the lost column, I put everything that I thought might earn this or, or get me to a position of, of, of receiving it from God based on my merit. And he talks about sanctification, how we should live this out. He speaks to these things and how you should conduct yourselves. And in early in chapter two, he says, right, God is working in you, right? So work out your salvation, the sanctification, work this out. God has a plan and a purpose. You're not an accident. He's saying, press on. And these things, in the passage we looked at last week, where he's saying those very words, press on to win the prize. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you, right? And so he lays this foundation. He comes to this, this, this moment of passage, and he says, look, follow my example and note those who are doing the same thing, right? So if it's like Paul's going to expand this idea. He's pressing us. We talked last week about having this vision, right, fixed upon Jesus as you run this race, run in such a way you would win the prize and do these things. And then he goes, look, and if you're still having issues or concerns about it, look at me and note those who are doing the same thing. This is a help, right? This is a help and an encouragement to you. Definitely Paul took seriously his growing delight in Jesus, right? It's our delight there. He had a reliance upon Christ alone for salvation, Talk often of that. Paul had a wonderful determination to, to become like Christ, right? To be Christ to others and to represent Christ and to do his will. And he truly, I think we could all say, he had a single-minded pursuit to win this prize, to press on. And he lays this foundation for us, and then he says, guys, brothers and sisters, follow my example. So my first point this morning, and I know we're, we're running a little bit late, um, and I tried to write a, a shorter message, just so you know, I thought of you in that way. Uh, we'll try to get through this. He says, the example, there is first in verse 17, the example to imitate is what I'm going to say. This is an example to imitate. It says, brethren, right, join in me following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. Now, it's interesting because Paul earlier has said, look, I, I haven't attained this. I haven't arrived. Right? I'm not perfect. And so he kind of throws out, the, dispels the idea that we become perfect this side of heaven. Right? Who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? So if you're breathing this morning, hopefully you are, right? we know that God is still at work. You're not perfect. That might shatter some, some of you out there this morning. No, you're not perfect. But God is at work. And we take encouragement from that. And Paul has told us, hey, I haven't attained it. I haven't arrived at this, right? I'm not perfect, but yet he says I'm a, I'm a good enough example. I think he's a wonderful example. Here in the book of Philippians, in chains for the gospel, he takes it in stride and he acknowledges early in chapter 1 that, guys, this has happened to, for me so that I, the gospel can be preached to a greater crowd. Those who normally wouldn't receive the gospel, God has given me a wonderful opportunity. I don't know if you and I would have that same response to being in chains, being in a prison, Paul clearly acknowledges God's sovereignty. There's a purpose in this. Most of us would probably think, I don't know. 
I don't know if we might, you know, conclude that God is, is not for me at this moment, right? God is against me, but Paul says, no, I've furthered the gospel. And so he, he makes mention of that, but he comes to this moment and he says, but follow after me. As I press on, the importance of role models. Paul is saying, I am worthy of that. And he begins this verse by saying, brethren, really what he's saying is brothers and sisters, right? The personal touch here. He's saying, look, church, brothers and sisters, follow. Siblings in the family of God, follow after me. And note those who are doing the same thing. We need to go the same direction, right? It's important. Paul's saying, look. It's important that we press on. We can say all these things, and your pastor, I can preach these things so I'm blue in the face, but until you say, you know, it's important that, that Christ has put this expectation upon me, that I, I become a part of the family of God. I'm a fellow sibling in this. I'm brother and sister to the truth. God desires to move in me, to move in my situation, and to bring about glory to his end. And Paul says, look, you've got to get going forward. So Paul says, and what I'm calling A, he says, look, a good example, what I think should be pursued. If you're here this morning and, and you're thinking, well, how do I go about this? That's a wonderful question. Paul says, look, follow me. This morning you can read the books of, of the Bible. You can look specifically at Paul's life and see the things that he's done that will give you wonderful insights. Writing underneath the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that what is from the Word is good, and we can follow after it. Paul's saying, note, right? Good example, it should be pursued. We need to follow after him. He also goes on and he points out that a good example should be observed or studied, really is what the idea of the word. We should study a good example. Find those who are doing the same thing. Here you have people within the church of Philippi who are doing it. Right? They're discouraged at the beginning of the letter. Paul hears about this and he writes his letter and he says, it's okay what's happened to me. All the beatings, all the whippings, all the chains, it's actually gone for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul's saying it's all right. It's a good thing. Right? The gospel's more important. So he encourages them. But yet there are believers here right, who have this understanding, who are taking it on. He says, look, observe those. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with this idea or maybe something that is happening in your life and you just don't have good examples, Paul's saying, note those, study those, the heroes of the faith who have gone before us, biographies of wonderful men and women who have lived the faith. Look into those. Look into those because they help us. Right? These men and women desired to seek after Jesus, to grab hold of that for which Christ Jesus has grabbed hold of them. They're saying, I'm going to live this out. And Paul's saying, take note and observe that. This morning, I think it's important for you and I to take on a similar... Um, that's a lot better. Was that just me? Is anyone else here now? Okay. To take on seriously this idea of growth. But not just growth for our personal gain. That is very important. Paul begins this by saying, brothers and sisters, I want you to follow me, right? There's a desire that God has that you would grow in the truth. But there is also an application that we'd have to ask this question of each and every one of you is, are you someone that others can study? Are you someone who is representing? Now, we're not talking about perfection. That's why I pointed out when Paul says, look, guys, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect, right? We are in process like everyone else, but the believer this morning, right? We know when we mess up, we repent. If we sin, we repent. If I've offended, I seek forgiveness. 
Why? Because unity is important, and I'm commanded by Scripture to seek that. I'm desiring to have the mind of Christ. I don't always have that. That's why I need brothers and sisters to hold me accountable. And this is what Paul is saying as you press on and press forward. But are you living a life where others can look at you and say, yeah, that's an example I need to, I need to study. Because ultimately, people are watching you. Whether you like it or not, that seems kind of odd, but people are looking to you. They're following you, and maybe you don't realize it. Maybe they have questions about the faith. Maybe they're watching how you will assess or respond. But think about this. Right now, someone is following you. Right now, someone looks to you to show them the way. Right now, someone prays because they heard you pray. They listened to you. They heard your cry. They saw what you did in that situation and how you turned to prayer. They're watching. Right now, someone is watching you fight your personal battles. They know enough about you. They know what you're walking through. They know the hurt. And they're watching how you respond to it. We might go on and say right now, someone wants to be like you. Or someone is cheering you on. Right now, someone sees Christ in your life. They admire your strength. They're thinking, wow, how is this man of God, this woman of God doing it? How are they doing it? Let me take note and study, because that's what Paul is saying. Right now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but maybe somebody is borrowing your faith because they have none. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this situation. I know... Pastor Tyson believes in this. Maybe I'll I'll believe in that too. It's not their own, but they believe, right? Because of you. Right now, maybe somebody believes you are the only representation of Jesus they know. Right now, maybe somebody is hanging tough in a difficult situation because you're the one standing tall. You give them strength. And they're following you and you don't realize it. And they're looking to you. Maybe right now someone gives thanks to God for your friendship because you're a genuine friend. So we have to ask this question. Are you the type of example? Are you living that life? I'm not talking about perfection. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But those aren't excuses, right? Because I'm not perfect, well, I'll get it next time. No. What does a Christian do? He takes his and her faith seriously. Because you have to realize there are people looking to you. You have influence that I could never have. You take Christ into situations and workplaces that I may never go. And is that the example? What are you leaving with them? Years ago, there was a, a communist government, well, it still is, a communist government in China, commissioned the author to write a biography of Hudson Taylor with the purpose of distorting the facts and presenting him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit the name of this consecrated missionary of the gospel. As the result of doing his research, the author was increasingly impressed by Taylor's saintly character and godly life, and he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. Eventually, at the risk of losing his life, He laid his pen aside, renounced his atheism, and received Christ as his Savior. 
So the note for us this morning is people are watching. You know, Paul is saying, take note. You should pursue this on your own in your individual walk with the Lord. You should follow and have godly examples in your life. But at some point, right, you become an example to others. And Paul says to those who might be weak, look at those who have a strong faith and study them. So we'd ask this question, who's looking at you? Who's studying you? Are you giving off the fragrance of Christ? Are you pointing people to him? Are you giving them reason to point fingers? So Paul wants to expand this, and he says, here's the positive, and he's laid it out, right, in the verses ahead of this. He says, look, this is the, the goal. Here is the prize. Here's the marker. Go forward. Set your eyes on Christ. Take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you. And as you do that, therein lies the comforting element, right? As I live this life and people might be looking to me, how do I take care of those things? Well, as, as long as I'm continuing to set my eyes upon Christ, those things will take care of themselves, if your desire is to follow and to know him more and you're in his word and you're praying, praying for your pastor, your, your leadership, your church, praying for your family and coworkers, if you're praying and studying, these things fix themselves because we continue to go forward. And when people look at your life, what do they ultimately see is what you exude. And the more you put Christ in, the more he comes out of you. So Paul says, take note of this. Study those, right? Be challenged by that. Then he goes on in verses 18 and 19, he says, this is an example to avoid, right? He says, for many, for this reason, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. So we have this contrast he puts before us. The enemy's ways or philosophy, if you will, has a different focus from that of the believer. It has a different goal. It has a different boast and ultimately a different result. Paul begins this by saying the result ends in destruction. Right? It is an eternal loss. This example is an eternal loss. This is really the sad state of man. Paul says they are an enemy of the cross of Christ. Paul looks beyond, right, the world right here, and he says, hey, this next world for those who do not have Jesus, do not have the cross, right, is an eternal loss because they don't have him. So we respond this morning and say, how important is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Saves lives is the difference and Paul knows it. He equates them as enemies. If you don't have the cross, you become an enemy of it. And if the cross is not the center, well, ultimately we put other things there, the center of our lives. Paul is saying the outcome for these people, the destruction that he talks about, is the same that awaits the beast of Revelation. An outcome that's described as the lake of fire and maybe the second death. Here's what he's, in essence, he is saying. This is where this leads to. This is why he is weeping. This is why he's broken over the loss. He knows that there is an eternal, irreversible separation from God. In this pursuit, as you live this life and following examples, it's important that we understand that there are those who are broken who do not know Christ. And our hearts should be broken for them. We should be patient. We should share Jesus. Share this hope because you have the truth. If you are a believer this morning, you have 
exactly what they need. They just don't know it yet. They don't realize maybe they're an enemy of the cross. Paul's outcome was very much different, right? He wanted to win the prize, seek the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a complete different direction. So we might ask this morning, as Paul expands this idea, how do, how do people get to this idea of end of destruction? How do they end up there? Well, Paul goes on and explains it begins with what I'm calling self-worship. He says their God is their belly. Right? They recognize no need and no authority outside personal satisfaction. That's what he's saying. Right? Their appetites dictate their lives. Their self is at the center. If the cross is not the center of your life, something else will be there. Ultimately, that is who? It's going to be you. What is most important to me? They exalt things and practices which they ought to be ashamed of, is what he's saying. God is their belly. We see this in our world, right? It might be packaged in the, in the way of it feels right. Well, then it's right. Right? The whole relative in the postmodern mind, all these elements come into play. Hey, it's okay. You can do it. If it feels good, you should pursue it. That's the right thing to do. That's the self-indulgence. And it's important that Paul doesn't list a bunch of sins here. He doesn't go, look, it's this sin specifically and this sin specifically and this sin. If you don't do those, it's okay. Right? Why would, he, why would he not do that? Because we would sit there as believers today and go, well, if I don't do that and that and that, then I'm okay. And the warning isn't that. The warning that Paul's getting at is, is the idea of self over and against the cross. We would miss the warning altogether if we said, well, I avoid these three sins, and therefore I'm good. And Paul isn't saying that. He's saying those who are on the road to destruction ultimately put themselves there. Self is at the center. It's not against, this warning's not against particular sins but against the underlying sin of indulging to self. So Paul raises this warning, right? If we're going to head down this downward path, it leads to destruction, we have to be aware of it. We once again state how important is the cross of Jesus. We realize there's mature believers. Paul's pointing that out. There's some there that in the Philippian church who are mature enough that he would say, look, if you're struggling and you have me as an example, you also note those who are doing the same thing as you study them. So he's saying there's, there's mature believers there, but he's saying it's important that you believers have this warning. Be careful of what is at the center of your life. Be careful and make sure you place the cross there. Everything is in line. Run this race. Press on. Continue to move forward. God's at work. All these themes are coming out of this book of Philippians, and he desires that you and I would take that seriously and move forward. Why ultimately? Because there's people who need the truth, and they're looking to you. So they're engaged in self-worship. Paul goes on. He expands the list a little bit more. What I'm calling a corrupt valued system. They said, whose glory is their shame. So they find cause to glory the things that they should be ashamed of. They should be ashamed of that, but yet they find reason to glory in it. Their sense of values justifies and allows everything. Things they should condemn, it's okay. Paul was wholly absorbed right, in the glorifying of Christ making every effort to know Christ, to know his will, to follow after him. So here we have this contrast once again against those pursuing the good example and those heading to destruction. And it's the next step of a downward spiral. First they give themselves to indulgence. Next they justify that indulgence. 
probably wouldn't take long for us to go around and go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Maybe I've seen this, heard of this. I know someone. They brag about their sins, the glory of their shame. They do their effort to encourage others to be a part of it. This is the world in which you and I live. It's okay. And for the believer, you and I this morning is tremendous pressure in those situations to stand for truth. But this is exactly what we need to do. We need to be that example and bring light. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He says, he who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. There needs to be an element where we say, no, that's not right. We can do that with words and also our actions. Maybe it's leaving a situation. But remember, people are watching. Especially if they know you're a believer. They're taking note. They're observing. Paul put no confidence in the flesh. He was far from perfect. He hasn't arrived there. He hasn't attained it. But he presses on. There might be moments where we say, you know what? I had a rough day, a bad day. The believer repents. Right? We pick up and we go on. I've said this many times. If you've ever gotten a flat tire in your car, hopefully you've never hopped out and popped the other three and said it's worthless. Right? <laughs> Forget it. Some of us want to pop the other three tires and light the car on fire. and Forget it. It's a rough day. You don't realize how bad it is. We don't do that. Right? What do we do? We get the spare. We change the flat. That's the Christian faith, right? There's times when we mess up. We're not perfect. But it's what you do in those moments. You seek forgiveness from the Lord. If you've offended someone, you can make it right. That sin's huge. It's a huge example to others. Wow. Right? I look at you and what is different and wrong with you that you would ask for forgiveness for that that might be enough Paul goes on he says as he talks about the self-worship their corrupted value system he adds one more to it and I think this is a, a contrast of horizons is what I'm calling it their minds are set on earthly things their whole attention their point of view their way of looking at things right their general frame of mind Things they give attention and study, they're focused on the earth, right? They're governed by the world. The very center of their being, where their life finds its direction, where attitudes and tendencies are fashioned, the subsequent influence, divisions, all those elements are governed, the likes and dislikes, they all find their center in the world system. All of it. This is why Paul says, with tears I'm weeping, their end is destruction. Their mind is set on the earth. Paul realizes that you and I, we live in this world, we're not of it, but there are two, two ways, right? There is a, a heavenly way and there is an earthly way, the two horizons, and you're constantly being pulled from one to the other, right? Our, our flesh naturally desires sin and typically wants to go that way. This is why a, a constant devotional life is so important and accountability, being pulled by those things, not away from salvation, that's secured outside of ourselves, but in our walk. And Paul realizes, hey, hey, in this world, brothers and sisters, siblings, following after Christ, note those who have a good example. They will help you. They will encourage you. So Paul really kind of comes to this element of the mind, kind of wraps this up and says, look, there's two ways of looking at this, and it's in the mind. He talks in Romans chapter 1, verses, in 18, uh, verses 18 and 19, talks about the depraved mind, where it says, for the raft of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because 
what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Paul says they suppress this. They suppress the truth. And when you represent, you know, come on the scene and represent Christ and all the truth that that entails, they have to do something about it. This is why Christianity is an adjutant to unbelievers. If you have an unbeliever who is suppressing truth, who doesn't want to acknowledge these things, and you come close to them and you represent that truth, they either want to get rid of you or get away from you. The Pharisees had no problem with Jesus as long as he fit into their system. Just do it our way, Jesus. We've got it all worked out. Of course, he would not do that. And ultimately, how, was there, how were they going to deal with him? <clears throat> Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. Let's suppress this truth and get rid of him. <clears throat> it's the same today. Most people are suppressing that. So when you come into these moments, right, this is why it ends in destruction. It's why they have two different horizons. It's why they worship themselves, because they are suppressing I think the point is the peak of spiritual collapse is where people know, grasp truth, and they reason, they make up their mind. Rebellion of the mind. From God is the fundamental state of the sinner. We rebelled from God. So Paul goes on, not in our passage here, but in passages of the Bible in the New Testament, examples of what the Christian mind should be like. A couple of these are from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I put this on the screen as well. It's probably a page over in your Bible. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robberies to be equal with God. He didn't have to prove it. He was God. But he makes himself of no reputation. He takes the form of a bondservant, and he comes in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, He humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What an amazing Savior. He would do this for us. Because he fulfilled the will of God, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, let this mind be in you. Here's the example. Philippians chapter 3, we covered this last week, 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So we get out of line, God will bring you back. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Right? There's the idea of pursuit, walking. And let us... Be of the same mind. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Contrast, but <clears throat> be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Excuse me. <clears throat> be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your formal conduct. The old man, which grows corrupt according to to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. One more for you, and this is not exhaustive by no means. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. 
You died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What a vital part the mind plays in the life of the Christian. How important is it how you think? Paul will go on later to say in in chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 8, you'll say, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, gracious, think on these things. Put your mind there. The mind off course from God is the most potent of all forces for spiritual disaster, how you think. Paul, in essence, is saying, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. So today, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, follow this example, pursue it. Find those that are notable, be studied. Become one that can be studied and help others to follow after Christ and to walk this way. Paul is weeping. He's saying there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They worship themselves. They put themselves at the center. They have a corrupt valued system. What they should be ashamed of, they glory in. They set their mind on earthly things. and Ultimately, their end is destruction. Eternal loss. And you and I live in the middle of this today. Our lives and our walk after Jesus is important. Your influence is important. Your demonstration of God's grace is important. The fact that you might speak that there is a better way. God has a better way. You may not have the answer to the current situation, but man, I know where we can find them can point someone in the right direction. Be a life that's worth studying. We need to make up our minds and be resolved on this. Paul has given a lot of writing to this pressing on, pushing on, keep going forward, realizing that God's at work in you. He's not absent. He's not a passive God. He's active. And your experiences and maybe some of the things you're walking through this morning have value. They have reason. God may use it. We may not know this side of eternity, but God has a plan and a purpose. He desires that his church would shine your light. That you would live for Christ, that you would follow after him, that we would lift the cross high as a church. And as you, as Monday morning comes, as you go to your workplace and what you do and all the errands and the things that you come across, that you would be resolved to be a life worth studying. A life that could be pursued. A life where others can look to you and say, can I borrow your faith? Because I have none. When those opportunities come where you can pray with someone and say, I know, I, know, I know a Savior. I know someone who can help. But our mind has to be resolved on this. Speaking of indecision, there's a story of the former President Ronald Reagan where he says he learned the need for decision-making early in his life. His aunt had taken him to a, a cobbler to have a pair of shoes made for him. The shoemaker asked young Ronald Reagan, do you want a square toe or a round toe? Reagan hemmed and hawed. So the cobbler said, come back in a day or two and let me know what you want. A few days later, the shoemaker saw Reagan on the street and asked, what have you decided about your shoes? Reagan responded, I still haven't made up my mind. Very well, said the cobbler. When Reagan received the shoes, he was shocked to see that one shoe had a square toe and the other a round toe. 
looking at those shoes every day taught me a lesson, Ronald Reagan said, years later. If you don't make up your own mind, someone else will make it up for you. This morning, I think it's very important from this passage of Scripture, there's two examples. There's two ending places. And Paul here has given the focus of the three things that are eternal. God, his word, and people. And the more you spend time focusing on the eternals, the more your example, right, as you live this out, becomes more and more important. Your mind and how you think, taking seriously the mind of Christ, applying it to your studies, to your work, to your life, to your family. It's one way that Jesus can leave his glory beside. An example for us. It's not too much for us to do the same. To live this life and to live a life that others can look to and say, yeah, I know you're not perfect. You're a man, you're a woman of your word. And I know if I come and ask you questions, you'll direct me in the right path. Live that kind of life. Let me pray for us this morning.